So thank you for being here, everybody. Uh, this, let's say a blessing for studying Torah. And then I'm going to explain what I'm going to be doing the next, actually, three classes. I just decided this morning. That's why it's not in the email. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kichanu b'mitzvotav b'tzibanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, source of life. Your presence fills the universe. You have given us the instruction to engage in words of Torah. The weekly Torah portions right now are in Leviticus. And because we just we um, uh, ha- had a leap year, we're in the midst of a leap year. The portions um, are um, there are. I think I've explained before. There are a number of portions that during an, a non non extended year are double portions. You read two portions one week, but during a leap year, in order to accommodate the four extra Shabbats, those they're divided up. So. This week is the Parsha called Tazria, and next week is the Parsha called Metzora. And Tazria and Metzora are Parshiot about, um, um, Tazria begins with uh, how a woman, after she gives birth, needs to stay sequestered for a certain amount of time, and then goes on to explain in Tazria and Metzora at great length this affliction called Mitzora, which gets, had, was mistranslated as leprosy in the King James Bible and still kind of works that way, but it's some kind of spiritual affliction that manifests as a physical rupture of the container of our bodies with skin lesions. And But Mitzora does not only apply to skin, it applies to clothing. Clothing can get Mitzora. And even houses can get Matsura. So we're not dealing with leprosy here, obviously. Mm-hmm. And these are fascinating portions and also obscure. And we've taught about them year after year. But I don't want to teach about them the next couple of weeks. Because Passover is coming. And this Shabbat is called Shabbat, has a name, Shabbat HaChodesh the Shabbat of the new moon, because this is the Shabbat on which we announce the new moon of Nisan. So it's called Shabbat HaChodesh, also because we read, in in addition to reading the passage from Leviticus, we read a special passage from Exodus chapter 12 about this very day, the new moon of Nisan, which falls tomorrow night and Saturday. And the next week is known as Shabbat Hagadol, the great Shabbat, which is always the Shabbat that falls right before Passover. So named because of the special passage from the prophets that we read, where the prophet Micah announces that, behold, I mean, Malachi, the prophet Malachi announces, behold, a great and awesome day is coming when Elijah the prophet Will and so, and will turn the Elijah the prophet will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. And 
So that's called Shabbat HaGadol. And customarily on Shabbat HaGadol, we also focus on Passover. So Passover is going to fall on the full moon of Nisan, which is Friday night, April 15th. And then Saturday will be, and that's the first day of Pesach. So what I wanted to do was um, spend our time in class the next couple times, three times, focusing on Passover. And so that's going to be our theme. It seems very timely to me. Uh, rather than on the specific, rather than on the assigned Torah portions, I want to focus on the special readings that are supposed to orient us towards the coming holiday. And there's no more important holiday than Passover in, in the in the Jewish uh, toolkit. So I think I'm gonna begin by just looking with you at the passage from Exodus that will read this Shabbat that announces the new moon. So let me share my screen. And uh, then after we look at that and talk a little, what I wanna do today is actually brainstorm with you. My thoughts are formed but not fully formed. And I know that, and I'm, I'll, you know, perfect, to, total transparency here. I want to use our discussions to help me prepare for Passover um, and to help me collect my thoughts as well, because I'm going to be once again creating a Haggadah for our online Seder. And for me this year, the themes of, um, oppression, tyranny, what liberation would mean are, are just writ large, not only because of the uh, current uh, uh, tyrannical war on Ukraine, but also because of my deepening understanding. And again, I wanna thank not just Rabbi Arthur Waskell, but many contemporary Jewish thinkers who bring our attention to the fact that we are pharaohs over the earth, right now, driving it and driving it with, and, and, and we need to look at that theme of oppression as us, as the pharaohs as well. And so I have all of these thoughts um, and um, uh, the Passover Haggadah, as many of you know, specifically says, anyone who expands upon the story of our exodus from slavery, is to be praised. The holiday is supposed to orient us towards what this message of the story means to us today. So I'm in this, yes, as Rabbi Ellen said, who are today's pharaohs is another way of saying it. So, um, and what are today's pharaohs? And so that's my agenda. So first I wanna share the text and then I wanna share some thoughts that I have and hear yours. Okay, so here comes, the, here comes the special reading that makes this Shabbat HaChodesh. Let's see, here it is. We're supposed to read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 20. Here it is. yod heh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, HaChodesh Hazeh. That's why it's called Shabbat HaChodesh, because the first verse is just an introduction. 
God spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, and then in the traditional custom, Jewish custom, it's the first significant word of the passage that then is names the event. This month, meaning this coming new moon tomorrow night, known as the month of Nisan, this month shall mark for you the beginning of the month, Rosh Chodashim, not just Rosh Chodesh, not just the new month, but the beginning of all the months. Rishonhu is the first. It shall be the first of the months of the year for you. And that will bring up the question. Um, uh, that will bring up the question for those of us who think of Rosh Hashanah as the new year, why this is the new year. But in the Bible, Rosh Hashanah is not the new year. And we can talk about that too. Rabbi um, Ellen Weaver wrote, who are today's pharaohs and how are we pharaoh in relation to our beautiful mother earth? How are we addicted to power and stuff? We're gonna talk about that. Where it seems like we don't have choice, how do we reclaim our ability to choose? In this giant machine of extractive capitalism that we uh, um, are part of. Speak to the community leadership of Israel and say, so on the first of the month, Moses is instructed to stand up in front of the community and say that on the 10th day of this month, so 10 days from now, each of them shall take a lamb to a family, one lamb to each household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, let it share one with a neighbor who dwells nearby in proportion to the number of persons. You shall contribute for the lamb according to what each household will eat. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a yearling male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. It can be a kid or a lamb. You shall keep watch over it until the 14th day of this month. And all the assembled congregation of the Israelites shall slaughter it at twilight. Um, they shall take the 14th of the month. That's when Passover begins but this is describing the first Passover. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. Remember the word for doorposts? Mezuzot. And the lintel of the houses in which they are to eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with matzot, unleavened bread, and maror, bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in any way with water, but roasted, head, legs, and entrails over the fire. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning. If any of it is left until morning, you shall burn it. No leftovers. I'm glad that changed. Um, <laughs> this is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is a Passover offering to Yudhei So this is a description of the biblical Passover ritual. 
very different than the Passover Seder that we celebrate today, except for just a few details. For that night, I will go through the land of Egypt and strike down every male firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human and beast, and I will mete out punishment to all the gods of Egypt. I, Yodhei But the blood on the houses where you are staying shall be a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Pasach, Pesach. So that no plague will destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be to you one of remembrance. You shall celebrate it as a festival to Yodhevave throughout the ages. You shall celebrate it as an institution for all time. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the very first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day to the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And you shall celebrate a sacred occasion on the first day and a sacred occasion on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them. Only what every person is to eat, that alone may be prepared for. And you shall observe this feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your ranks out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe this day throughout the ages as an institution for all time. And as is the nature of Torah, it repeats things. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. No leaven shall be found in your houses for seven days. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person, whether a stranger or a citizen of the country, shall be cut off from the community of Israel. You shall eat nothing leavened. Leavened chametz. chametz. In all your settlements, you shall eat unleavened bread. So, whoops. I dropped you, sorry, but you're actually okay. My computer, I should worry about, okay. Um, okay, so that's the passage that we read on this Shabbat, clearly designed to say, hey, it's the new month of Nisan, get ready. It's a powerful passage. There's so many places, directions we could go with it. And I certainly welcome your questions or comments at any time. Um, I mean, one theme that we've explored many times over the years is how different Passover is today with a leisurely Seder than this instruction in the Torah, which is you're supposed to eat it with your loins girded and your staff in your hand and your sandals on your feet. Um, uh, and it's important, and we're going to do a little of this, to track the evolution of Passover from this ancient description to today, because uh, it's astonishing to me. It's kind of like those stories about um, uh, Reb Zalman of Blessed Memory liked to tell the story about the acts that had been handed down from generation to generation and the handle had worn out. So they replaced it and the head had worn out 
So they replaced it. And then the handle wore out again. And then the head wore out. But it's still the axe. You know, and it's, uh, I like that story because Passover is kind of like that. I mean, it's still Passover, even though we're not, we're not actually using the same, doing the same things. Okay, so Marcia says, I understand connection between unleavened bread and having to flee quickly. Is there other significance to not eating any chametz? Great question, Marsha. I'm going to back way up and, and then we're going to come towards that question because this is one of the important things I want us to uh, keep in mind. There's a consensus among biblical scholars that Passover, as it appears at, th at this point in the Torah, is actually a mashup of various spring festivals. One festival is the slaughter of the yearling lamb, of the, of the lamb or the kid, and was a pastoral festival, um, meaning shepherds who relied on their um, flock for sustenance. Every spring at this time would take a lamb or a kid, a newborn and offer it up to God. You could say in gratitude for the lambing, or you could say hoping that the offering of this firstborn would, would um, um, quell any cosmic uh, catastrophes, you know, uh, ward off danger, who knows? It's all, it's all wrapped up together anyway. Uh, um, propitiate was the word I was thinking of. Uh, but this was a holiday known as, um, uh, let's see, I wonder, what, hold on, I'm looking at an article, a fascinating article I was reading. Um, Yeah, this was called Pesach. Um, and then Chag, the festival of Pesach, of the Paschal lamb. Uh, the uh, agricultural sector of Israelite society had its own spring festival, which was called Chag Ha'aviv, the festival of spring, or Chag HaMatzot, the festival of unleavened bread. And I'm gonna talk more about this because I found it very interesting. I'm not gonna, I'm actually gonna read more about it to you if I can keep my facts straight. Um, in Israel, the grains, the barley and the wheat are planted in the fall and ripen over the winter during the rainy season. They are ready to, the barley is ready to harvest in the month of spring. And the barley harvest was a big deal for a, sus a subsistence agricultural economy. They were just about out of grain. And the old sourdough, remember chametz means fermented or sour. They didn't have yeast back then. The old sourdough was just about used up and was pretty sour. And so they had a festival where they would cut the first sheaf of barley and hold it up 
and offer gratitude to God. They would clean out all the old sourdough, the chametz, whatever was left. I bet they were pretty hungry. And they would bake unleavened bread out of the barley and have a festival for the new crop. And that was called Chag Hamatzot, the festival of matzah. Somewhere back then in ancient Israel, these two festivals got overlaid. The sacrifice of the lamb that took place at twilight on the, on the eve of the full moon and the seven day festival of eating only unleavened, the new, un, the new unleavened grain, the fresh new unleavened grain got merged into one holiday. We know this because Passover has multiple names. It's called Pesach, Passover. It's called the festival of spring. It's called the festival of matzah. Chag Aviv, Chag Hamatzot. It's also called Zman Cherutenu, the season of our liberation. So in ancient Israel, at some point, the story of our liberation from slavery was interwoven with these springtime festivals and all of these rituals and, and became one um, um, that's my phone. It'll just ring a couple more times. Became, they became one inter interlaced observance where what were agricultural symbols, the lamb and the unleavened bread became the defining, the defining symbols of our story of liberation from slavery. But those those festivals, most all scholars agree, predated their integration into the Exodus story. But then the Exodus story is a story of rebirth and liberation. So it's all very seamless in many ways. Let me read what uh, Rabbi Ellen wrote. Also the description of the original Passover before getting out of Mitzrayim. And when the text goes on to celebrating this every year after out of slavery, it already slows the meal down and for seven days. And thank you, Ellen. Um, I've always joked that my family always ate our meal hurriedly and there weren't any leftovers. So we were fulfilling, we were fulfilling the biblical commandment. That's my personal joke. <laughs> anyway, there are actually in, in, I believe it's Yemenite or North African. I'm trying to remember where. Uh, where they dress with a staff in hand and they march around the table and they use leeks in order to be the Egyptian taskmasters and they act the whole thing out in that way with their loins girded and their staff in hand and so on. We can, there's a lot of ways to celebrate. Um, so back to you, Marsha. So the story about the bread not having time to rise gets woven in, mixed in to the story of leaving Egypt, taking what are, as far as we can know, much more ancient symbolic celebrations 
and weaving our, uh, our, our origin story of how we were liberated and became God's people into it. So it's, so it's beautiful because we think of matzah. Yeah, we didn't have to, we had to flee in a hurry. And that's true. And what I want to, one of the things I want to um, explore for myself and with you the next couple of weeks is to reclaim the nature festival fully, the agrarian earth-based nature festival um, uh, as um, uh, part of our consciousness at Passover time. Because in our time of environmental crisis, I feel like that layer is waiting for us to bring, bring to center, to bring into the center of our storytelling, if you follow what I mean. Um, Susan said, can one find matzo made of barley? I believe so. No. Ellen, do you have anything to say about it? I am such a non-baker. Um, as someone who can't eat wheat, I'm always looking for other kinds of matzah. And they have oat matzah, which is truly disgusting. And um, spelt matzah, which is pretty good. And gluten-free, which is has nothing to do with matzah, really. I have never, ever seen barley. So I wonder how our ancestors prepared the barley, ground it and baked it. That's really interesting. Um, if any, any other, Karen Levine might know because she was a professional. Karen, right. Writer, but she's not here today. I'll ask her again. I can't keep it straight because today our matzah is wheat and has been for a long time. But it would appear that the wheat harvest was celebrated seven weeks later at Shavuot which is the festival of the first fruits. And um, uh, I wanna actually share something with you about that, that I learned from uh, this essay I was reading today. Let's see, doesn't Earth Day occur during Pesach? Pesach? Your autocorrect spelled Pesach peach, Abigail, I like that. Um, uh, sometimes, it depends because uh, but this year, Earth Day does happen to take place during. Yeah, Earth Day is the seventh day of Passover this year. That's cool. I'm going to make a point of noting that. That's wonderful. Miriam said, perhaps there should be no leftovers for we are to share our abundance. Oh, interesting. Yes, that's a beautiful interpretation. And I was also reading that, you know, sacred meals, this is a sacrament, right? So uh, meaning that it's a, it's a, it only exists for this purpose, actually not for eating the leftovers the next day. So the, so that the meal serves just this purpose. And then I also, was reading that just as we're not supposed to hoard the manna, maybe this was also a, a festival, maybe one of the messages of the Exodus story, if we're going to translate it into some of the plagues of our time, 
is how to decide when enough is enough, when to say dayenu. That's okay, we have enough. And I'll, you know, we want to be talk, talking about that with you as well. So thank you, Miriam. Um, what I want to, again, to give us some more historical background, um, I found a lovely uh, talk by my friend Rabbi Mordechai Liebling, who, as it happened, I just saw last week at the, when I wasn't here at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical Association. And he actually wrote a beautiful article on called Reconstructing Passover. I will, maybe Rabbi Ellen will find it and put the link into, um, it's called, uh, Ellen, it's called Shabbat HaChodesh, Reconstructing Passover. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote from it a bit here. Um, what he talks about, among other things, among many, it's just filled with ideas, which is what got me going, um, is that, oh, I'll read Avigal's comment. In terms of bringing the environmental concerns into Pesach, how about giving our chametz to the food pantries? Indeed. Um, we're going to have a lot of good ideas here. Keep putting them in. And there is the link. Thanks so much, Rabbi Ellen, to the text that I'm citing as we talk today. So one of the things that Mordechai points out is that those of us who are familiar with the Jewish calendar know that because it's a lunar calendar, it has to be adjusted regularly to stay aligned with the solar cycle of seasons, the equinox and solstices. And um, uh, that cycle since perhaps the fourth century has been a fixed 19 year cycle. In other words, some genius figured out that if you add an extra month seven times out of every 19 years, the seasons will stay aligned with the cycles of the moon. So we are just at the end today. We're at the very end of the month called second Adar because we are in a leap year. And this month has 13 moons in it. And what that does, and I know I've explained this to some of you before, so forgive me. What that does is um, it moves the Jewish calendar back up several weeks against the solar calendar. And that's after a leap year, that's when we say in our, around here, oh, the holidays are late this year. That's because we've added a whole month in. But if we didn't add that month in, then the holidays would keep retreating around the calendar every year, 11 days, because 12 lunar months is 11 days shy of a solar year. So, as, so we have to keep adding leap years on a regular basis so that Passover will fall at the time of spring. And it will fall within a four week kind of window somewhere close to the spring equinox. The fact that it's in April this year is as late as it ever gets. 
reflecting the fact that we're just coming off of a leap month. But what Mordechai teaches, yes, and Rabbi Ellen says, that's why the Muslim calendar has Ramadan changing seasons throughout the year. They don't have a leap tradition. Ramadan, they have a lunar calendar, but no leap tradition. So Ramadan every year is 11 days earlier on the solar calendar than it was the year before. And it's constantly never the same, except after, when it comes back around after going around the entire calendar. Um, Sarah Alexander says, I always like it when it falls in the same week as Easter as it does this year. So let me explain that as well. Easter and Passover falling in the same week is the norm. The exception is when the um, uh, Jewish calendar is at, one, is at its extreme sometimes, and then it'll fall on the full moon before or after Easter. But the reason that happens is because Easter is Passover, right? Uh, Easter is the Christian version of Passover. And, uh, and as we've talked about, the early Christians were Jews who retold, their, retold this, the story in terms of the life of Jesus. Jesus is the Paschal Lamb whose blood saves us, right? So the East, and, and I'm forgetting the origin of the word Easter, even though I knew it, because it's like Passover in Greek or something like that. Uh, Rabbi Ellen's my research uh, genius here, and she'll find out. My point, though, is that in the Christian calendar, which is also our, our regular calendar, um, uh, Naomi, we'll get Ellen's information. Anyone who likes to Google, they can Google, but Rabbi Ellen's looking it up. Um, uh, Easter is the only holiday, the only holiday on the Christian calendar that is related to the moon. Easter always falls on the Sunday after the full moon of spring, always. Which means that usually it coincides with Passover, except in exceptional years when the Passover holiday is very early because it's, we're waiting for a leap year and then they might be a month apart. So um, the fact that Easter is, is a lunar-based holiday, Ostern, goddess of a goddess in her festival akin to the east holy smokes i guess that's why we need to use the earlier word for easter which is pascha the paschal lamb pascha is is a name of easter in uh uh in romance language it's pasqua yeah there we go thank you um anyway the connection is very direct between Easter and Passover. And that's why they coincide on the calendar. And it's why um, uh, Easter in a sort of, is a holdover of the lunar calendar, the only holdover in the entire Christian cycle of holidays. I find that very interesting. Okay, so 
I'm glad those questions were asked. Yes, supposedly Good Friday was the last supper, meaning it was a Passover Seder, right? When Jesus was betrayed. And it makes sense. And we've talked about that at length in our Judaism and Christianity classes. So I don't wanna go there right now, but it's everything about Jesus's story is happening during this giant pilgrimage festival to Jerusalem. Passover. Um, the Romans, knowing how many Jews were coming to Jerusalem at the time, at that time when Jesus was alive, would actually station an extra garrison in the fortress that oversaw Jerusalem. It was a time of extremely heightened tension in ancient Jerusalem. Uh, fascinating stuff. Okay, so here's what I learned from Mordechai's article. Prior to this fixed 19-year cycle of leap years that keeps our calendar in sync, moon and sun, they didn't have a set system. Their system was before the new moon of Nissan, like today, they would go out in the fields and examine the barley. And if the barley wasn't at a stage of ripeness yet to be harvested, they would declare a second Adar. Isn't that interesting? It was completely based on the crops and on this, and, and so it still worked out because if they'd add an Adar that year, the next year when they would examine the crops, it would very likely be ripe and the next year as well. But maybe the next year they would say, no, we need, but it wasn't done on a systematic calendar cycle. It was done by inspecting the crops. I found that to be beautiful um, because one of the things that we inherit as Jews is the record in the Torah of our agrarian ancestors who lived in um, intense, an intimate relationship with their land and who understood that they relied on the fecundity of the land for their very being. We obviously, you know, can go to the supermarket. We're in a, such a uh, incredibly different consciousness, but the agrarian consciousness is right there for us to reclaim. Oh, Susan said, I guess Jews have always liked good food. You bet. Um, and so our calendar and so much of our tradition transformed after the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the Jewish people 
from our land, literally our land. In order to preserve our traditions, a number of things happened in the aftermath of our destruction and exile. One is that, for example, our rabbis fixed the calendar, right? Because they couldn't observe. We weren't all going to Jerusalem at the same time. None of that was happening. And so they had to fix the calendar. Oh, I'll, I'll answer your question in a second, Marsha. They had to fix the calendar. But the other thing that happened is that they repositioned Passover itself. The agricultural elements of Passover receded and the story became, of our liberation became central. I'm not saying that negatively. It was a brilliant move whereby every year, wherever we were in all the world, we would gather and tell our story of how we became a people. What else could keep us knit together across, across continents than sharing a st story of common origin? And not just a story of common origin, but a story that is inspiring, right? Because the whole message of Passover on every single lever, level is inspirational. The story is that the source of life, God, the creator, the energy of being, wants, is opposed to tyranny and supports life emerging from the earth, from human beings. It's an incredible story. It's, I'm so happy that this is my story. And so, but the mythic historical took precedence and the agricultural and natural connections receded. They never disappeared. Right, we still dip the greens into the salt water and the greens are a symbol of spring. But what do we say about those greens and the salt? We say these, this salt water is the tears of the slaves. Well, maybe it's time to, and of course, this has already been done to a large degree. Uh, maybe those tears are the, the great sea, the, the amniotic mother sea out of which all life springs. That, you know, we just, we can, the beautiful thing about symbols is that we can assign ever expanding meanings to them. And you can't be wrong. I mean, I wanna say that the Christians are wrong. This is not what the Paschal Lamb's about. It's not about Jesus, but Sorry, it's, you know, they get to tell their story and we get to tell ours and that's the way it goes, you know. I'm not going to argue about, you know, symbols. Okay, now let me pause for a second. Uh, Marcia said, what do you mean by adding a Hadar? Oh, thank you, I should be clear. The month before Nisan, the month that we're just in is called Adar, A-D-A-R. And the way the leap year is calculated is you add a second Adar, 
It's literally called Adar 2. Um, and it's fixed in our calendar. And once upon a time, as I was describing, before the calendar was fixed, it was dependent on how ripe the, the barley was, had become so that you could have the spring festival on time. So adding a second Adar means that that year has 13 months and the 13th month is called Adar, second Adar. So Adar just goes on and on. Deborah says, my daughter has taught me that the insanity of our modern world has to do with how we have lost our connection to the earth. And I'm, I'm um, my daughter is also in graduate school studying environmentalism and sustainability and indigenous wisdom and clearly, clearly, We've raped our mother. We've done, I say that on purpose. It's that bad. Uh, we've taken without giving back. We're addicted to extracting and burning the dead bodies of our ancestors, animals and plants and trees for our own fleeting pleasure. And in the process, our, 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 we know what we're doing to our planet. How are we going to enjoy the fruits of the land if we are constantly sullying it? We are in a crisis on every level of uh, imaginable at this time. So, I happened to be reading in an old New Yorker yesterday, a profile of Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry is, is in his late eighties now and he's been writing, he's been, he left academia. Well, he didn't leave, he kept teaching at the University of Kentucky, but he left the East Coast Ivies when he was a young man and went back to the farm life that uh, his ancestors in rural Kentucky and Ohio um, uh, lived by for generations. And, He's um, what we call an agrarian. He understands so clearly that we've gone insane um, because we don't know when to stop. We don't know when to say dayenu. We don't understand what it means to uh, live in some way that acknowledges our um, symbiotic relationship with the soil. Uh, I don't need to lecture you about this stuff. Um, this book that I got from my friend, Rabbi Natan Margalit, some of us remember, Natan has made it his purpose to um, reconnect with our agricultural and agrarian origins. And I'm gonna, I've read, this book's been sitting on my shelf for way too long. I'm gonna read it in, as preparation for Passover. It's called Scripture, Culture, and Agriculture. And uh, it's called An Agrarian Reading of the Bible.
Hope that was visible to all of you. Cambridge University Press. This is what I'm. This is what I'm thinking about for this Pesach. Oh, good. Rabbi Natan's website is called organictorah.org. Uh, it's in the chat. I recommend it. He's really good at this. At this teaching. Um, so, the Jewish calendar, as Mordechai says in his article was dependent on the stage of the crops. In order to fulfill our rituals, we had to be in sync with the earth. It's beautiful, isn't it? So here, I'll read a little more of your chat. Perhaps part of the answer is in these teachings about how to reconnect with the rhythms of the universe. Yes, that's just what I read from Mordechai. And Nancy Berlin says, I thought of the book of Isaiah. Anything specific, Nancy? Well, I think that, that Isaiah was hijacked from after, they, they look at Jesus, that, that this was the prophecy, but this was really the prophecy of Isaiah, of, of our book. Of, and um, when you were speaking, I, I heard it. Uh, but, you know, and I, as you were speaking, I was, you know, thinking that, yes, this is, we need, the, we need that, um, the faith now. And, you know, that something good is good, like it, something, can, a miracle can happen. Mm, thank you. And I would say, quoting Isaiah, or paraphrasing Isaiah, that if we learn how to live in humble and thoughtful harmony with our mother, the earth, then everyone will be under their vine and fig tree and none shall make them afraid. And we shall beat our swords into pruning hooks and into plows and uh, nation shall not learn war against nation. All of those prophecies, the human and the natural come together. That's what occurred to me when you were, mentioned that, Nancy. Thank you. Batya, Barbara says, Shabbat is another holy day that reminds us that we do not have to be slaves to machines and the man-made things that make life easier, quote. That is why we don't, if we're observing Shabbat, turn on the lights or drive in cars or use the stove to cook. It can return us to the basics, agrarian roots of our lives. Well said. Yes, Shabbat is, is there for us. Oh, another website to look at if this catches your fancy. Uh, Neohasid. What do you think it is? .org? I think it's .org. Rabbi David Seidenberg, he's brilliant. It's org. And Blaze says, Wendell Berry makes the connection between slavery, racism, and the loss of connection to the land, especially among white folks. His ancestors were enslaved. Yes, I'm going to be reading more Wendell Berry too. You know, he's one of those authors that, oh, I'm, I've heard of Wendell Berry, but I've hardly ever read him. And Marcus says, yes, yet sadly, there is no evidence that those who are Shomer Shabbat are any more living in a balanced honoring of our earth, our mother, than anyone else. 
I wish this were not so. So how can we as Jews co-create it and what Shabbat catalyzes otherwise? Exactly. Um, uh, again, here are these symbolic activities that we engage in or refrain from on Shabbat. It's up to us to infuse them with meaning. What human beings do is we create a symbolic act. The purpose of the act is to remind us of something or to shift our awareness. But because we're humans, we keep doing the act, but we completely forget that it was designed to train our awareness. So the purpose of any spiritually oriented practice is that you have to remember why you're doing it and then put that intention into it. And yes, you can be, you can observe, you can observe every single mitzvah punctiliously without an awareness that it's supposed to transform your, uh, um, uh, your um, consciousness and your understanding of the world. Oh, thank you, Deborah. Um, yes, yeah, so, and all of us in the ritual business had better remember what rituals are for. They're not so that we can say, I did the ritual. <laughs> They're for the ritual to transform us. If we don't remember that, we failed. We failed. Susan grew up on a 200 acre farm in Ohio. Your dad spent his Shabbat gardening? What an interesting memory. And he did have two helpers on his farm. They were paid white men. Oh, Susan, we have to hear more about that sometime. This is, you were in Southern Ohio in Cincinnati. This is very close to where Wendell Berry is from. Um, I'm gonna find out more. Very good, very good. I think with that uh, framework, I wanna come back next week and among other things, look into how can we make Passover this year also a how can the rituals of Passover also illuminate our relationship to the earth? Um, Marcus says, yes, a halacha, which means law or really path that has no actual ethical consequences is what? It's, um, it's uh, a sin, Marcus. You, the, the rabbis are clear. The, the Talmud is crystal clear that if you say the Shema without intending to recite the Shema, you're not yotze. You haven't fulfilled the commandment. Consciousness is integral to the fulfillment of mitzvot. That's, you know, but we're human beings. We just want to get a hundred on the test. We don't, and so we think if God is the judge, then we want to be declared innocent, you know? So we go through the motions and we don't understand that that's all metaphorical, that we're after something deeper than punctiliousness, a punctilious observance. Um, May I respond? Please do. Thank you. We know this, right? Many of us grok and get what you're saying, but it lets, it's too easily letting ourselves off the hook. In principle, of course, what you're saying is true. And it sounds in principle like it's not letting anyone off the hook, but it hasn't answered the question. The question is if we have a halacha that's actually an 
like ethical asanas, practices that we have to embody. Yes. Datim, right? People who are from generally follow. They are not requiring actions that actually create a healing of the earth. Therefore, oh. the halakha itself, the so-called laws, the path, needs to be changed so that it has those effects for our Oh, okay. Yes. It doesn't need to be changed. It needs to be reimagined. Uh, there are, there are, the, the halakha includes the laws of sabbatical years. It includes the laws of how we're supposed to treat animals. It includes all those laws. We have to enact them. The halakha is quite comprehensive. You're um, right. That's what I meant. However, there needs to be a mechanism imposed that creates it not just being a law de jure, but de facto. That's right. The only mechanism, I don't think there's a mechanism that can be imposed. I think it has to be um, evoked. And that's the purpose of a spiritual community. There's no, there's no there there imposing laws on us. It's like, it's completely up to us to enact and manifest them. And that's how I see the purpose of a spiritual community. A Jewish spiritual community's purpose is to do what I am doing with you today. Our Passover, I hope, will both be more meaningful and more relevant because we have these conversations. Um, do you want to say anything else, Marcus? Simply that I agree, and that's why I wrote in the chat, we cannot legislate consciousness, obviously. And, right. if, we, and if we could, that would probably not be a good thing in the deeper sense. However, um, for example, we have laws in the United States that even though there, there's corruption and they're not always honored, often there are consequences, they're imposed, they, and they often really happen. Mm -hmm. And so there are mechanisms that can be done if halakha has such power in place in a society. Well, we're running over a little bit, but I'm not an Orthodox Jew and I don't run my life and I don't run my life according to halakha. It is my inspiration and my guide. And so I don't enter that particular discourse um, in, in this way, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be a halachic Jew. I'm claiming to be a serious and engaged Jew. And, uh, and so, you know, that's the best I can do for now. Uh, Barbara has one more comment. Uh, another interesting person to read is Murray Bookchin, who created the field of social ecology. Thank you. He felt that how we treat each other will inform how we treat nature and the earth that social justice and ecology are interconnected. Yes, and that is one of the things I wanna talk about more next week, um, that the laws of nature in Judaism, God the creator of nature and God the, moral, the creator of moral behavior is the same God, right? We Jews worship a source that does not distinguish between the natural order and between human ethics. And that's crucial for us to remember and reintegrate. Let's talk more about that next time too. This is really excellent. So thank you everybody. I hope this is stimulating your thoughts for Passover as well. 
And I will, I'll keep talking about this next week. <laughs>